Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 32nd episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I have just about abandoned all hope this week. Uh, Regular listeners and friends will know that I used to own a G35 coupe, and I absolutely loved it, and I still miss it. Uh, In fact, just a few days ago, I found a spare key that I still have for the car, which I didn't turn in when I traded it in, and it had a hole in the head gasket. And I Instagrammed a really sappy photo of of missing it with the key in in the picture. I know it's bad, uh, but as much as I miss it, I I don't want it back because I want to experience something new, or at least new to me. You know, being born in the mid-80s, there are a few cars from the 90s that I would love to own and drive, but the thing is, I'm not alone in that regard. But what I am is is quite poor, apparently. Uh, I've known for a while that I'll never own a Mark IV Supra because the asking prices on them have just been sky-high for what seems like forever. But now, just this week, a twin-turbo 2 Plus 2 Nissan 300ZX with less than 600 miles on it sold for more than $90,000. That's a 21-year-old Japanese car limited through a gentleman's agreement to 280 horsepower, selling for the price of a pretty decent house. And it made me give up hope, because in no reality where I am still a car enthusiast will I probably have the disposable income to spend on a fun car like that. So here I am, back scrolling through Autolist for salvage title MR2s. Anyway, you didn't come here to hear me whine about poverty relative to other people my age who have made wiser financial decisions than I have. You came to hear about cars. So here are your top stories. After Hurricane Harvey wiped out anywhere between 500,000 and 1 million cars, depending on what survey you read, a ton of people in Houston were going to need to find new cars, and fortunately for them, dealerships scrambled to get new inventory into showrooms rapidly after the storm. Uh, So far, dealerships are seeing a 50-60% to rise in purchases over last September, but their inventories aren't keeping up. So they're encouraging people who need cars to get themselves to dealerships before they run out of cars and buyers are forced to have to wait for next shipments. Florida dealers are expecting to uh, see a similar boost in sales uh, after Irma. Uh, Meanwhile, in Florida, dealerships have come under fire from pissed-off residents for trying to save their inventories from the impending floodwaters. To do so, a few dealerships have either struck deals with parking garages or taken up free parking in garages open to the public so that area residents could store their cars somewhere elevated to avoid having them get ruined by rising waters. The general sentiment is that dealerships have enough money and insurance to cover flood losses, while residents may not have such resources and should have been allowed to park their vehicles in these garages that the dealerships dominated. And, and sometimes these dealerships took up as many as 400 parking places, which is, is kind of usurious. Uh, when some dealerships try their best to screw folks, uh, Tesla has done something kind of neat for buyers of their least expensive models. Uh, Florida drivers of the models S and X with the 60D trim level, uh, which they don't sell anymore, um, they had their ranges remotely extended an extra 30 miles to help them escape Hurricane Irma. 
the 60D has its range limited from the factory, uh, a consequence of, of spending as little as possible to own a Model S or X. But Tesla recognized the incredible lines on highways trying to get out of Florida and, and did their owners a solid, which is pretty fascinating and refreshing. Um, it is, though, a little big brother to think that your car's range can just be adjusted on the fly remotely at someone's whims, though. I mean, if you're the paranoid type, that probably uh, doesn't speak too well to you. And yes, I mean you, Justin. If you haven't listened to the show before, by all means, welcome. But if you have, you've undoubtedly heard me talk about the greatest challenge to widespread electric or hydrogen fuel cell adoption, which is, let's all say it together, infrastructure. Uh, this week, there are a few developments that have started eking away at that barrier. Uh, the first was Tesla's announcement that they're starting to focus the installation of superchargers within major metropolitan areas to help city dwellers find a charge when they need it. The question you're asking now is probably, why didn't they start there? Uh, well, by selling their most expensive cars first, it's reasonable to assume that if you can afford a Model S or X, you can probably afford to have a garage and a home charger where you can charge up yourself. Plus, to alleviate range anxiety while still allowing Tesla owners to experience the thrills of the great American road trip, they focused on installing superchargers along freeways connecting cities, so that you could theoretically drive across country without ever running out of juice. Uh, this new effort to populate cities with fast chargers will begin in Chicago and Boston, who presumably paid something or freed up Tesla to do things more cheaply, and, and should help people like Volt Guy in my parking garage downtown find a place to fill up with electric juice and still own an electric vehicle without having to own a garage. Uh, while this will be great for new Model 3 owners, remember that fast chargers still mean it'll take you 20 minutes to get 100 miles worth of range when it takes me less than 3 minutes to get 400 miles of range with my gas-powered Mazda. Uh, this will get better and faster as battery technology advances, though. Also this week, uh, Toyota and Honda announced a collaboration with uh, my former employer, full disclosure, Shell Oil Company, uh, to begin offering hydrogen pumps at several filling stations owned by Shell subsidiary Equilon Enterprises. Uh, just, just as a quick reference, anytime you go to a gas station, chances are that station isn't owned by the brand of fuel they're selling. Um, they're usually locally owned and operated, and this makes it a bit difficult for these widespread partnerships to have much of an impact because fuel brands can't order their local stations to install big and costly hydrogen pumps and storage tanks. So the great news is that there will be more options for the few owners of fuel cell cars out there. The not great news is that these stations will all be in California, the state where pretty much all of the hydrogen stations already in existence are. But progress is progress, right? Uh, in news about fun and interesting cars, uh, the Bugatti Chiron hasn't gotten a whole lot of press lately, despite being one of the most expensive cars in the world, and one of the fastest, too. Uh, a few other supercars that have come out since it was announced have pipped it to either the fastest claimed top speed or the fastest 0-60 to 60 time, which takes some of the gloss off of the $3 million purchase price of the Bugatti, but it did something pretty special this week that I thought was worth mentioning in a top story. 
That ticking in the background is counting down 42 seconds, which is the exact amount of time it took the new Bugatti Chiron to race from 0 to 249 miles an hour and then back to 0 miles an hour. In fact, it did 0 to almost a quarter of a thousand miles an hour in just 32.6 seconds before IndyCar driver Juan Pablo Montoya slammed on the brakes and brought the car to a stop in less than 10 seconds, presumably causing his pretty face to break off. So the Chiron may not be the fastest car in the world, but that's not the point of the Chiron. That said, make no mistake, it's very, very fast. But that is just part of the package of pure insanity that is the Bugatti Chiron. And that's 42 seconds. From its W16 engine and four turbochargers, 10 radiators, and 1,500 horsepower, all propelling a very luxuriously appointed interior, the Chiron is just in a completely different class than other vehicles, even if they beat it speed-wise. Now, here are some quick hits. The National Transportation Safety Board this week announced that it was finding Tesla partially to blame in a fatal accident last year wherein a man was killed while his Model S drove under into and underneath a semi-trailer while on autopilot because the system could not distinguish between a, a broad white side of a semi-truck pulling across the highway and either the sky or mistaking it for a sign overhead. The family of the victim has absolved Tesla of any blame, citing the fact that the driver only kept his hands on the wheel of the car for 25 seconds during a 37-minute journey and repeatedly ignored both audio and visual warnings that he needed to pay attention. While the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration let Tesla off in their investigation, the NTSB says that Tesla's autopilot gives drivers a false sense of security and allows drivers to ignore warnings without the car ever taking firm action to keep the driver engaged. Systems from other manufacturers will actually slow the car down and pull over if the driver stops paying attention for long enough. As the blame game in this case ceases, it's just a sobering reminder that autonomous technology is far from perfected. So you all remember a few weeks ago when news crews caught up with someone driving around in a Ford while dressed like a car seat? That was all some test to determine humans' reactions to autonomous cars, according to Virginia Tech and Ford. Well, we finally have some more details on that. Apparently, the cars were testing how autonomous cars could talk to pedestrians. Not talk in the traditional sense, but communicate with two flashing white lights on top of the windshield. When drivers come up to a stop sign and there are pedestrians there, we exchange hand gestures or nods to give right-of-way and let people cross. When there are no drivers, there, tends, there needs to be some way for pedestrians to understand the car's intentions. So Ford has decided that some random blinking of lights on the top of cars will relay that information. Of course, since these aren't standard, like brake lights or turn signals, people have no idea what they mean, but Ford is hoping this research will help inform a new standard so everyone will eventually get it. In any case, the last thing most of us will probably see are the blinking lights as the robots turn on us and all our autonomous cars run us over. In not totally boring regulatory news, the Department of Transportation unveiled their new regulations governing autonomous cars this week, which basically amounted to saying, hey guys, just... Just don't do anything your mothers wouldn't want you to do, okay? Whereas the Obama administration laid out 15 rules by which automakers had to adhere to preserve the safety of other human drivers, Trump's administration is basically telling companies just to go hog wild. 
There's no right answer here, with safety nuts freaking out that there's not enough attention being paid to other drivers' well-being, while industry folks are all praising the rules for preserving innovation. There's no way to please everyone, which is especially true when it comes to both government and the intense human desire to bitch about something. After having to recall a half a million cars for diesel cheating software, Volkswagen had to do something with them, and that something was to store thousands of them at the Silverdome parking lot, the lot at the former home of the Detroit Lions. Storing them there appears to be where the effort stopped for Volkswagen, because it's been announced this week that more than 60 cars from the site have been stolen. The crazy thing is that many of these cars were sold through a dealership in Indiana, which got the cars from a supplier who allegedly bought them at an auction in the same state with fraudulent Michigan titles. Most of the cars have been accounted for, but nine remain missing, presumably sold to poor consumers who are going to have their cars taken away because they're the product of years of deceit by tricky Germans. While I'm sure company representatives in Frankfurt this week are trying to get everyone to look at their shiny new cars, Volkswagen just cannot stop shooting themselves in the nuts when it comes to Dieselgate. Volvo this week announced that they have purchased Lux, which is an app that functions basically like a valet service. Users can hail someone to come park, refuel, or wash their car if they can't be bothered with such menial tasks. Although Volvo says that they bought it for the engineers and technology, they did issue a statement saying that the service aimed to help simplify the lives of Volvo owners by taking some tasks off their plate. Between this service and the Mercedes and Tesla vehicles already parking themselves for you, it's only going to be a matter of time before driving tests basically consist of, can you press this button? Okay, here's your license. A woman in Great Britain blew the bloody doors off her Ford Focus this week after throwing some freshly bought aerosol freshener in the back seat. Turns out one or more of those cans was leaking and ignited when she lit up a cigarette. Uh, this comes after a couple almost blew themselves up while trying to smoke while transporting an open propane tank, and some while after kids huffing gasoline out of a coffee can nearly blew themselves up when one of them decided to satisfy his nicotine craving. If the anti-smoking activist groups are looking for inspiration for a new ad campaign, I think they've found it. Jaguar is so proud of their iPace electric crossover that they have just announced a racing series just for the iPace, which is set to run alongside the 10 Formula E races next year. Unlike most races, the iPace race, which is what I'm calling it, will take just 30 minutes and could involve as many as 20 drivers. Who will drive? Conveniently, people who have enough money to pay for Jaguar's Arrive and Drive package, which includes an entire racing team, a prepped race car, race logistics, and even a race suit. No word on if you have to bring your own helmet, but if you can afford to effectively rent an entire racing team for half an hour every other week or so, you can probably afford to bring your own damn tacky airbrushed helmet with your name on it. Now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my Stop me if you've heard this one before, but there's a new electric vehicle startup out there who claim that they're going to be the next Tesla. Wait, you say you have heard that before? And that I was in last week's podcast? And probably each one before that? Weird. Well, this one's from Taiwan, and it's from a company hilariously named ThunderPower. And it's called the TP-01. They're showing off a pre-production prototype of their range-topping sedan in Frankfurt right now. 
but they're saying the production car will have a 400-mile range and more than 570 horsepower, propelling the car to 60 miles an hour in just four seconds. If you're wondering if this car will actually ever happen, you're not alone. Thunder Power started out as a tool company in Taiwan in 1987, but you have to remember that Lamborghini started out building tractors, so anything is technically, if not probably, possible. While I think the general consensus is that the future of cars is electric, Honda, Toyota, and a few other manufacturers are still continuing development on hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, which have a number of upsides over plug-in EVs. Hydrogen cars function more similarly to gasoline-powered cars in that drivers don't have to have a charger at home. Instead, they go to a station to fill up, except on hydrogen instead of petrol. Well, Mercedes-Benz has decided that the future doesn't necessarily have to be either hydrogen or EV, but it can be both at the same time. This week they announced, uh, they revealed rather, their GLC F-Cell concept, which uh, they say is a pre-production model and not just a concept. Uh, basically, it's a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle with a battery pack that you can plug in and provide supplemental power with. Combined, it only has slightly less than 200 horsepower and about 260 torque, so it'll still get up and go despite being pretty big and heavy. To that point, the fuel cell is 30% smaller than Mercedes' last application in the B-Class, allowing it to fit inside the engine bay like a, a standard internal combustion motor. Uh, this also means shorter refueling times. It'll take three minutes to fill up with hydrogen and one and a half hours to fill up the batteries. Uh, we don't really know about the range so far, but Mercedes seems to think it'll be sufficient for most buyers. Uh, more than anything else, it's just exciting to see a company still try to shake things up and try something different. This could be how we see hydrogen end up taking a greater step towards feasibility. Uh, so there are a lot of other cars that uh, showed up this week at Frankfurt, and I, you guys know there's only one way that I can tell you about all of them. Keep this flow to myself Run and grab my rhyming dictionary off of the shelf Cause the automotive world is in need And I'm waiting here to feed ya Talking Frankfurt on the mind, man They got new cars and they're really looking fine, man Though some sat this out, we're gonna wrap it up No, these lyrics don't come easy but you know I got you covered almost weekly So I'm wrapping up that Frankfurt show One, two, three, yeah Cherry Exceed is a Land Rover look-alike Another Chinese rip-off cheaper than a mountain bike They're selling it in Europe but the car will probably flop China's dominance is growing so I better stop Just kidding Mercedes showed up really strong on their home stage Coming in a couple years is the EQA If EVs are the newest game, Benz is here to play The Kia Proceed is a shooting brake that looks sick Put that shit on sale and man, that's gonna sell quick Long roof, big wheels, yeah you best believe You may not be my only Kia owning friend, Steve There's a giant SUV we gotta talk about It's like an XC90 with an angry pig snout X7, you're a shitty BMW I showed your picture to some kids and they all went Honda came in showing Germans how design is done The urban EV's killer styling hit a home run Looking like a modern take on a 
retro hatch. That little Honda's throwing shade on the whole batch. I'm not rapping just for kicks, man. I'm telling you about Frankfurt's biggest hits, man. So just lift your glass, I save the best for last. How about AMG Mercedes? The project one's an F1 car, but for the road C. 700 horses of turbo force. See, I rapped another car show. Though with my skills, rapping really is a no-no. It's over now, hope you survive somehow So until next time, hope you're feeling fine On that note, I'm going to shut it down this week. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Thank you to Portugal the Man for the tune behind that auto show wrap-up. And we will see you all next week.